Yeah, well, you guys stand with me, and uh, just before we go into Luke, actually, we're going to go through the Lord's Prayer. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer together, so it'll be on the screen for you if you aren't with me. Um, and yeah, so just say it with me, will you? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat. Well done. Cool. Good to see you guys. We're going through Luke 24. We're on the last chapter of Luke 24 this morning. We're not going to make it all the way through, but uh, we're just about finishing a couple weeks ago. We've made our way through the book of Luke. So as we get into Luke 24, as you turn there, uh, again, if you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible. Now's a great time to grab a Bible. So as you're going to Luke chapter 24, just imagine with me for a second. I'm going to take you on a magical journey here. Imagine this. You're a disciple of Jesus. 2,000 years ago, just under 2,000 years ago, uh, you know, maybe you're from the town of Bethsaida, and, and you've heard about uh, local fishermen, Andrew, Peter, Philip. You've heard about how they just dropped all their fishing gear at the, at the call of a guy named Jesus, and they followed him. And, and, and as time goes on, you know, maybe about a year later, you're hearing about the reports of all these amazing things happening in the Galilee near where you are. And you're hearing about miracles happening. You're hearing about healings that Jesus is doing and Jesus comes back through Bethsaida, and, and you've heard that people are saying, this is the one who will, re- who will redeem Israel. And, and so you, you hear him speak. You, he comes back through your town, and so you go and listen to him speak and, and proclaim the things that no other rabbi has been proclaiming. This Jesus is saying things that no one else is saying. And you start to realize, hey, this, this guy's something special. And so you follow him. And you want to hear more from him, and you want to glean, and you, and you begin watching what he does, and you begin watching how he prays, and you observe the way that he speaks with authority, and, and you watch the amazing miracles that he performs, and, and you make your way down to Jerusalem with him for Passover, and you watch as the people greet him. Remember, as, he, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, they shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. And, and you, you get the feeling as you come into the city, you know, tensions are high. You just get the sense, hey, tensions are high. The leaders and the scribes and the Pharisees, they don't really like what Jesus is saying. And so you just feel in the city of Jerusalem that tensions are high. Things are going on. And you start to think, oh, maybe now is when Jesus is going to free us from the Roman oppression. Maybe now is when Jesus is going to bring Israel back to the nation that we always wanted it to be, back to the time when King Solomon was king and, and Israel was rich and amazing and everyone longed to be like Israel. And, and, and you know, you think, oh, well, you know, a little bit of bloodshed always sparks a revolution and things are a little tense. So you think, oh, there might be a little bloodshed and Jesus might finally whip out his sword and start laying the beat down on these Romans. And so it comes to uh, about Passover, and you're starting to get ready, prepare for the Passover feast. You hear murmurings of a scuffle going on on the other side of the valley, over on the Mount of Olives. You hear a scuffle going on. 
and you hear that reports that Jesus is being arrested. And you go, what? Jesus is being arrested? And so you follow the crowd around the city. You follow as they go from the high priest's house, and then they, the crowd is freaking out and takes Jesus over to Pilate's house across on the other side of the city. And then they go over to Herod, and then they go back to Pilate's house. And all this time, you see this guy who you've been following for the past year or two being mocked and, and spit on and and made fun of, and, and beaten, until eventually the verdict is brought down on Jesus. And they beat Jesus near the edge of his life with a whip. They crown him with a crown of thorns that they, they push into his head, and they lead him to a place called the skull, and they nail his hands and his feet to the cross, and they put him up on the cross, and you're watching all this as this guy who you followed and you thought was going to be the redeemer and your savior, and he's crucified. And you see him lead, and, and you see him breathe his last breath, and he's dead. You see him taken down as you watch, and, and you watch them put his tomb into, put his body in a tomb. You watch the stone rolled in front. You see how they place two Roman guards in front of this tomb, and that's that that's, you're kind of like, oh, that's okay. That's been an interesting couple of years of my life following this guy, and now he's dead. And so the Sabbath, you know the Sabbath is starting soon, so you leave and you got to go prepare for the Sabbath. Let me tell you about this, the religion of Islam. Islam was founded by a man named Muhammad. Uh, he was born in 570 AD. He was says he was visited by the angel Gabriel in 613 and he received a revelation that God is one. And then later he gathered an army of 10,000 Muslims and he marched on the city of Mecca in 632 AD. And then a few months later, guess what happened to him? He died. Or about the religion of Buddhism. Buddhism was founded by a man named Siddhartha Gautama born in 480 BC. He wandered around the Nepal area, down into India eventually, until he got enlightened, whatever that means. He got enlightened. He had shared his enlightenment with his followers. And then in 400 BC, what happened to him? He died. <laughs> he died. What about Sikhism? Do you guys know about Sikhism? Again, this is super rough stuff. Don't quote me on it. He's, Sikhism founded by the Guru Narak, Nanak, the first of 10 gurus. Uh, he was born in 1469. He lived life. He went on spiritual journeys. He got married even. He had a couple kids. And in 1539, at the age of 70, he died. <laughs> what about Judaism? Judaism, very one of the most popular religions in the world. Uh, they kind of follow the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible accounts the history of the Jewish people, their relationship to God, the promise given to Abraham, the Ten Commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai, history of King David, King Solomon building the temple. Um, but here's the thing about Judaism: that's it, it's very their Old Testament is very their their Tanakh is very similar to our Old Testament. But the thing with all these men who they follow and they uh, kind of have as their leaders, what happened to them? They died. <laughs> they died. And so before we get into Luke 24, the meat of Luke 24 here, where Luke recounts, he's going to account approximately the 18 hours 
after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I want to just first assure you and confirm the need for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of God to this day. Christianity is the only religion who claims their founder died and then three days later was resurrected. Friends, Jesus is not like some of these other ones that we just talked about with others who were born, lived life, and then died. Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, he was laid in a tomb, and then three days later he rose again. We trust the scripture that tells us that Jesus was fully man and fully God, that there's one God, there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the people. Jesus is not like the other men of this world who had a good word to say, who became enlightened. He's the Lamb of God who's without sin. He was crucified on the cross for my sin and for your sin, and then three days later, he was born again, resurrected from the tomb. Without the resurrection, our hope and faith and everything that we're doing here is pointless. Let's just get that clear. So you all know, without the resurrection, what we're doing is pointless. If the resurrection is not true, then we're going to call it right now and we're getting to those desserts. Because <laughs> that's just about as good as anything else that's going on here. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. It says this. It's going to come up on your screen. Paul says this. He says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen, then also, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also come, comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. In the book of Acts, later, about 50 days from now, during Pentecost, that we're about to look into, 50 days from Luke 24 here, uh, as the Holy Spirit descends on the people and, and, and Peter stands up and he says this in Acts 2. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, listen to this, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus was not only resurrected three days later in, in a surprise, it wasn't like, oh, that was lucky, man, Jesus came out. 
He told the people all the things that would occur recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're going to see some ladies be reminded of this later today in the text. And so let's take a look at the events that Luke records for us after the resurrection of Jesus. And so as we get into it, uh, Luke 24, the final chapter of Luke, is kind of split up into three nice little parts, three like events throughout the day. So he starts with kind of an event in the morning, the early morning, and then there's an, uh, kind of an event in the early, late morning, early afternoon, and then finally an event in the late afternoon, early evening that uh, Matt's going to look at next week. So we're going to look at the first two. We're going to look at the first events in the morning and the, and the event in the late morning, early afternoon. So look at verse 1 of Luke chapter 24. It says this, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. So the first day of the week, being Sunday, uh, at early dawn, they go to the tomb with the spices they had prepared. They, of course, couldn't go to the tomb the day before because uh, that's the Sabbath and it was against their law because it was, would have been deemed work. So Sunday, first thing in the morning, actually, man, how about that sunrise this morning? I imagine first light like this morning was what they were like as they first time, as soon as the light cracked over the mountains, they were off they went to see, they were up and moving these ladies on the way to see Jesus one last time. They would have been bringing a large amount of spices to anoint the body of Jesus, uh, presumably, maybe uh, just because they didn't have time on, um, on the day that Jesus was crucified. They just knew that they had to get, before the sundown when the Sabbath started, they would have had just a limited amount of time just to even get Jesus' body down off the cross and put in the tomb. And so they are bringing these spices to anoint his body. And as we cross-reference other gospel accounts of this, we know that the ladies, as they were on their way to the tomb, they were discussing amongst themselves, oh, how, how are we going to get this big rock mold, rolled out of the way? There's a massive stone covering the entrance. And isn't this just a good picture for us uh, of just, just how Jesus cares for us? How um, in our life we worry, we have... You know, we wonder how we're going to do things, how things are going to happen, how we're going to have the strength to do things. And when you get there, what happens? You found Jesus has already taken care of it. Now, I want to assure you, just so we're clear, don't be confused. The stone wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so that the ladies could go in. They, and look at what they see when they poke their heads in, when they get to the tomb, verse 3. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? So they poked their heads in. What do they find? Well, they didn't find one man laying wrapped in grave cloths. Rather, they found two not wrapped in grave cloths, just standing there. And they're perplexed in this behold, what, the, what is going on? They're standing there in dazzling apparel, which again, when we cross-reference with other gospel accounts, we know these two were angels. And let me ask you, have you ever had an experience with an angel? If you haven't, you probably know someone who has. Someone's told you about one or something. Um, one time, oh, this was probably a few years ago now, maybe even five or six years ago now, uh, Matt and I, 
come into the church building early. It's about 7 a.m. And we walk in through those doors over there, and we're talking. And then we hear a kind of a murmuring, a grumble, some noise coming over from this area up over there. And we look over, and up pops uh, a man, <laughs> a homeless man. <laughs> he pops his head up, and we're, oh, kind of surprised us. So we go over, and we start chatting with him. Whoa, whoa. Oh, this thing's going to be the death of me, these microphones. We go over and chat with him. We sit down, we chat with him, and we're talking, and he tells us this story about uh, how it was cold the, last night, and, and an angel led him to the back door back there and let him in so he could have a warm place to sleep. And we're, okay, okay, so whatever. Long story short, he gets up, he walks. Uh, just before he gets up to leave, he grabs his half-drunk bottle of rum off the floor, and he goes out, and <laughs> Matt and I go back, and lo and behold, the lock is busted beyond belief. <laughs> well, no angel that let him in. It was the pure strength of this guy busting down our back door. The lock was all busted. And, <laughs> and sometimes, you know, we hear stories of angel interactions, and, and often it's, you know, you get a little too deep in YouTube and you see these weird things that people are telling you that just seem exaggerated, a little over the top, and you're like, I just don't know if I believe what you're saying. But I want to tell you this, and this is the truth, that there are angels in the heavenly realm right now. The book of Hebrews tells us that uh, they are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. The book of Hebrews also tells us that when you show hospitality to strangers, you may unknowingly be showing hospitality to angels. First Peter tells us that the mystery of the gospel is something that angels long to look into. It's pretty amazing that the gift of Jesus Christ to mankind, a mankind full of sinners and, and people like us and unbelievers, the gift of Jesus Christ to us is an amazing thing to the angels that they just don't quite understand. It brings glory to God. They bring glory to God when they see, wow, God, how can you do this for these unrepentant sinners on earth? We also know angels often bring good news. Um, the announcement of the birth of Christ, we know. There's a host of angels uh, as they bring the announcement to the shepherds in the field. Uh, or Daniel, do you remember this? As Daniel's praying, uh, and an angel, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel comes to him and, and assures Daniel that his prayers have been heard and comforts Daniel. Look at the good news that these angels brought these ladies here. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. Jesus is not here. He has risen. Don't you remember? Don't you remember what he told you? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And so there's a gentle rebuke here from the angels. And it's a good reminder, actually, of what we do here on Sunday morning, isn't it? It's, it's the reminder that head knowledge of Scripture is of great importance. Your knowledge of the scripture is of great importance. Having a full understanding of the scriptures is the foundation of why we like preach here verse by verse. For a good chunk of you here that have done the two seven navigators, 
Bible study, midweek Bible study, you know that memorizing Scripture is a huge part of that Bible study. Also the hardest part, isn't it? (laughs) You know how much we preached here the importance of reading your Bible on the regular, having your head in the Scripture, and knowing the things written in it are of the utmost importance. It will help in your prayer life. It will help in your witnessing. It will help in your fellowship with others. It will help with your obedience to Christ, and it will help keep Christ at the center of your life. Friends, I want to encourage you today, have your head in the Bible as much as possible. Look at what these ladies did next in verse 9. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So we see some of the ladies here listed by name, finally. Uh, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and there's some other women with them, apparently. Some would call these ladies the apostles' apostle. They first brought the good news to the apostles. They tell all that happened to them, and it seems like an idle tale. It seems like nonsense. The words coming out of these women's mouths seem like just doesn't make any sense. I was going to make a joke about husbands here, but we'll just leave that. Husbands and wives. Never mind. Rather than these apostles' eyes eagerly being up, awaiting the return of Jesus like he said they would do. He's, they're just simply navel-gazing. They're kind of hiding out in their, in their house, and they just are wondering about what's to do next. And as these ladies uh, bring back this good news, they, they just can't believe it. It just seems like nonsense. Look at verse 12, though. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. They couldn't believe it. They just couldn't, they couldn't believe it. It doesn't make any sense. They'd forgotten the words of Jesus. They weren't looking for Jesus. Though Peter was closely with Jesus for three years, the minute he couldn't see him, he stopped looking for him. Peter knew the scriptures as good as anyone, but he wasn't looking for Jesus. As he peered in the tomb, he knew something amazing had happened. It says he marveled, but he didn't yet believe. Let's look at the second event that Jesus shares with us as we go into the uh, late morning, early afternoon time. We leave first light as we go onto the road to Emmaus. Look at verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So two of them being disciples of Jesus. We know that there was a large group that would travel with Jesus. Like we kind of had that little imagery adventure at the first here that you are like you were one of those disciples. There was disciples traveling with Jesus, though there was the 12 that he kind of chose to bring into the inner circle. There was more that would travel around with him, um, try and you know glean whatever they can from him. And, and there was a bunch that came down to Jerusalem with them. And one of them that we find out later in the text here, that one of these two going for a walk to Emmaus is named Cleopas. The other unnamed, some speculate maybe his wife or we don't really know, the other unnamed, one being Cleopas. 
And so they're traveling to a village named Emmaus about seven miles away from Jerusalem and they're discussing the things that have happened over the past few days. And as they're discussing these things in their mind, remember, Jesus is dead. Jesus is dead. He's gone. They saw him crucified. They saw his body taken down from the cross. They saw his body put into the tomb. The stone rolled over. That's it. He's dead. Hope is gone. Jesus isn't around anymore. What do we do next? Look at verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So Jesus comes up and joins their journey, uh, says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Some suggest, oh, well, they couldn't recognize him because he was the sun was in their eyes and the shadow was over his face. And so they couldn't do the safety squint enough to figure out who it was. But I mean, let's be honest, I don't really buy it. Their eyes were supernaturally withheld from recognizing Jesus. Surely one of their reasons was because of their unbelief. We'll see in a second uh, their recounting of the events that have happened over the past few days. But as they traveled along this road, they'd lost hope in Jesus uh, they didn't believe the things told to them. They weren't looking for Jesus. Had they been looking for Jesus, do you think they would have been walking away from Jerusalem? <laughs> they would have had their eyes tuned to look for Jesus. The very truth of the resurrection was standing before them, yet they were ignorant of the things of Jesus. Look at their conversation. Jesus asks uh, what they're talking about, which, I mean, in a bit of, in a bit of jest, let's be honest, he, Jesus has a bit of a, funny bone to them. And, and they're in shock. They're like, what are you talking about? You're the only one who doesn't know what's going on in Jerusalem. And, and don't forget, it's easy to pass right over. I like to th imagine Jerusalem was going insane right now. Like even if you had no idea who Jesus was, just, just a few days earlier, the sun went dark for three hours. Like just randomly. Not randomly, but if you didn't know who Jesus was, you'd think, what is going on? The, the, the veil, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. And normally, there's only one person who goes in behind that veil once a year, the high priest. And now it was like torn in two, just free to nosy Nora, poke your head in there and see what's going on, right? Like the, people would have been losing their minds. Things were not as they should be. And you, stranger, haven't heard of the kerfuffle going on? Which we know they're talking to Jesus. But Jesus presses them and he encourages these two to reveal their hearts. Now Jesus knows their hearts, but he wanted to draw it out of them, hear it out of the horse's mouth. Look at verses 19 and, and look at what they say and, and pay special attention to the verbiage, the tense that they use as they describe the things that have happened and describe Jesus. Verse 19, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. They say he was a prophet, 
which, I mean, we know he was a little more than just a prophet, don't we? He was delivered over to death. We'd hoped that he would redeem Israel. And more than that, it's now the third day since all these things have happened. He's gone. That's it. You know, maybe an hour after he died, he could have come back. But it's, it's been three days. He probably stinks now. It's done. It's over. You stranger, I can't believe you don't know what's going on. Jesus is dead. Look at what else they keep going on. In verse 22, they say, Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. Listen to this. But him they did not see. They'd hoped for the Lion of Judah who would crush Rome with political power and strength of armies. Instead, they got a meek and gentle Lamb of God. These guys had hoped for the prophesied son of David to sit on the throne and restore the nation of Israel back to the times when when King Solomon was on the throne of great power. Instead, who'd they get? They got a humble servant who came to serve and not be served. These guys hoped for for the world to be turned on its head through authority and power from God. Instead, they got the world turned on its head through submission, through death, and from resurrection. These two, they just can't see Jesus anymore, so their faith is lost. The end of verse 24 again, but him they did not see. They do not see, so they do not believe. They have knowledge of the scripture, but they can't see Jesus. Look at verse 25 as Jesus rebukes them. Remember, they still don't know it's Jesus. Jesus responds and he rebukes them. In 25, he says, And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all scriptures the things concerning himself. What a Bible study, eh, friends? What a Bible study that would have been. Sign me up for that home group. You wouldn't have had to entice me with Timbits or donuts. I'm in. Walking through scripture all the way from Moses right through the prophets, Jesus interprets all the scriptures concerning himself. He would have told these two about how how Jesus is the seed of the woman whose heel he bruised the serpent's head. He would have told them how he's the one foretold when Abraham said the Lord himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. He would have told these two about how Jesus is the man who wrestled with Jacob, how he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the voice from the burning bush talking to Moses. He's the prophet foretold to come who will be greater than Moses. He would have told these two about how Jesus is the captain of the Lord's army when he was speaking to Joshua, how he's the ultimate kinsman redeemer in the book of Ruth. He's the son of David, who was a king greater than David. He's the suffering savior of Psalm 22, the good shepherd of Psalm 23, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. What an amazing thing that would have been to go through all that with Jesus. Look at verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. 
When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Friends, as important as it is to have head knowledge of the word of God, it is so much more important to have the heart knowledge of Jesus Christ. They said, did not our hearts burn within us while he opened the scriptures and showed them where Jesus was through all the scriptures. Earlier in Jesus's ministry from Luke 24 here, earlier years ago, while he was speaking to the Pharisees, Jesus said this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. On the outside, these leaders and scribes and Pharisees, they followed the laws to a T and they added their own laws even and they made themselves look amazing and time and time again, Jesus would reiterate, though the outside is clean, the inside is a mess and God is more interested what's on the inside rather than the outside. The Lord looks upon the heart. And so the fact is, it's important to have head knowledge of the scriptures, but it can't stop there. As you read and glean from the scriptures, it needs to go from head knowledge to heart knowledge. The law was not designed to give you life. The law is there to show you that you do not measure up. You are a sinner and the law condemns you to death. The law demands a sacrifice. The law demands your life. The law makes you realize, I cannot do it. For it is not by the law that you receive eternal life, it is by the burning of your heart desiring after Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that one believes and is justified and the mouth that one confesses and is saved. Jesus is the most important thing in the scriptures, friends. In all things, be on the lookout for Jesus, be searching for Jesus, be anticipating Jesus. Though you do not see him, be looking for him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Look at verse 33. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. There are many religions out there in the world, friends. Quick Google says there's over 4,000 recognized religions in the world today, yet there is only one that is the true and real relationship with the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. He isn't just some good, awesome guy who did some cool things and enlightened us 2,000 years ago. He's our resurrected king who sits on the throne. He's alive to this day. He's not some mysterious guy that we just pray to every once in a while. And so a couple of reminders just as we finish up today as, as Martin comes back up to lead us in one more song as we wrap up today. I want to give you these two things just to remind you. Have a head for scripture. 
Memorize the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And there are going to be times when uh, in your life, which I guarantee you probably has already happened and guarantee you will happen, where it just doesn't seem like you can see Jesus. You can't see him. And you're going to need to rely on the word of God. You might start thinking, did God really die for me? Do I really have salvation? And you go, oh, yes. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. I know that he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Or you, can, some, you might be praying and you'd be like, does God really listen to me? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, wait. John 16, 24 says, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Or there might come a time even where you go, ah, am I really forgiven? I know the Bible says repent and you'll be forgiven, but it, Jesus just sometimes, I don't, oh, wait, right. Because I have my head in the scripture. I know John 1, 9, which says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Friends, have your heads in the scripture. Have a head for scripture. The second thing, have a heart for scripture. How does your heart burn with passion for Jesus? As your head is in the scripture, be on the lookout for Jesus because he's there. He'll be there. He's everywhere. Friends, it's all about Jesus this morning. We stand with me as I pray. Lord, we just uh, come to you and confess and we come with the declaration, Lord, that you are risen that we can put our trust in you, Lord, because you aren't just some uh, old guy who came to the earth and taught us a lot of things and then died, Lord. But we know that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and all the things that you predicted, that you prophesied came true, Lord. That it wasn't by luck or happenstance that you were resurrected, but it was foretold in the prophets, Lord. Even by your own mouth, you told us that you would die and be brought back to life three days later. And we just give you praise for that, Lord. Help me this week as I um, seek to better understand your scriptures, Lord. As I seek to find Jesus in your scripture, uh, we just put our trust in you and our faith in you. In your name, amen.